0: You're listening to a podcast from Grace Church in Salado, Texas. For more information and resources just like this, visit us online at gracesalado.com. Good morning. Today's scriptures reading is from Romans 11 and 12 and can be found on page 1006 of the Bible at your seat. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and how inscrutable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Or who has given him, given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever, amen. I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. in his exhortation the one who contributes in generosity the one who leads with zeal the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness let love be genuine abhor what is evil hold fast to what is good this is the word of the lord
1: thank you sam and emma thank you I am, um, we do miss our band whenever they're gone and traveling, but we are very thankful that uh, Sam's parents were very fruitful, and because uh, <laughs> on many occasions, uh, Sam, as he said, has had his siblings up here helping and serving the church, even though they don't live here, they serve the church wherever they go, and I love that, and thank you very much for that. My family, we, we oftentimes, we don't do it as much as we used to, but we, we, we comment on a high and a low of the day. We get together when we do actually get to eat together. Um, what's your low? What's your high? You have to share a low. You have to share a high. And um, lately, I've been doing that and journaling on on Monday morning what my high and the low is for the week. And, and I can already say that my high from the last week was when the instruments sort of faded out and I got to be on the front row and I got to hear Y'all sing. Um, It just ministers to my heart when I get to hear the people of God sing. Uh, So thank you for contributing to my high for the week. I love it. Um, We are in the last week of a series that we began um, the second week in January, and we are glad to be wrapping up this series. I did not, I mean, we did sort of mean for it to go into February, but. Um, we are beginning a new series next week, and we're going to walk through the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew. And uh, we are excited to get back to what we call verse by verse preaching and expository preaching, and looking at what Jesus has to say to us as He calls us to follow the King. And that will begin next week. So please come if you want to know how. When we, if you were here in the fall, we talked about, "Behold, your God." And you may be wondering, how practically does this help me? Well, we're going to look into that this next series. As Jesus says, you behold your God and you do that by following the King. And here's how you do that. And the Sermon of the Mount tells us that. If you have not been here for this series, we have been looking at really three stories in this series that we've called Grace Together 2020. And each week we present a different story, a story of grace, a story uh, that helps us um, explain a little bit why we have the mission statement at our church that we do. Our mission statement is that we want to cultivate a community that encounters God, that equips with truth, and that engages the world. Notice the three E's there, encounter, equip, Engage. And the stories that we've been looking at share a little bit of all of that. Like like the first story that we looked at was John chapter 4. We had the woman at the well. She had no expectation of who she might encounter that day. She was doing her job. She was living in some shame. Her experience and her life patterns had brought her um, a, a life of unfulfilled pleasure. And so the woman at the well encounters Christ and She's equipped by him in the truth. She has questions, Let's just, just like a lot of seekers do. They have questions about this and about that, and Jesus answers the question. He equips her, and she's changed forever. She runs back to engage her world. She encounters God, she's equipped, and she runs back to engage her world with the truth and the news of who she met. The second story we looked at was in Luke chapter twenty-four. You got two guys on the way to Emmaus from Jerusalem, and as they're walking, they're confused, they're perplexed. They had worshipped religion; they had worshipped sort of a a, a a hope that a kingdom would come and and change Israel. And so there was a political worship. There was a religious aspect to what they worshipped, and and their world was turned upside down when they realized that this one they thought would be the one was killed and then they heard the story that he had risen from the dead so they were confused they were perplexed and there on that road they encountered god they encountered jesus christ specifically and and he opened up their minds and when he did that he opened up their hearts by equipping them with scripture and the truth it says that he opened up the word to them it changes everything their hearts began to burn with joy and passion. And what do they do? They run back to engage their world. So they encountered God. They were equipped and they ran. They didn't walk. They ran to engage their world. These are the two stories that we looked at. And then we looked at the early church, the story of the early church in the book of Acts. So I'm giving you like a little lesson in the gospels a little bit and the stories of what's being applied. And then we have the early church and the stories of of these people that encountered Jesus. They were followers. They watched Him ascend. And as He's ascending, He gives them instructions and gives them the mission. You've encountered God. You've been equipped with the truth. Now the task is to engage your world. Three stories of amazing life change. Three stories of, of dramatic empowerment of people who did not have a mission in life, did not have a purpose in life, but now they had a a purpose and a life that was bigger than they could ever dreamed of. They were connected with the God that they encountered and they never thought it could be like that. They (laughs) They were learning and being equipped in the truth and it was changing everything in their lives. Everything began to open up for them. And so when Jesus says to them, go to the world, they were like, all right, let's go, let's go, because I never thought I would be here, so who knows what else awaits us. This story must be shared with everyone. They no longer felt small and unwanted, but they felt alive with purpose. And so my question is, as we close out this series, is do you have a story like that? Do you have a story? Has God come alongside you have you encountered him in a unique way have you found some equipping in the truth and have you been encouraged to take your story of your encounter with god the equipping and the knowledge that you've been given about who he is have you been encouraged to go encounter other people with that story engage other people with that story God has given us a story, not just so that we can have a story and feel good about it and sing nice, pretty songs, but He's given us a story with a purpose so that we could apply His grace and share His grace. This is what we're after today as we close out this series. We're closing out with an invitation, Be Grace Together. Be grace as you go engage Be grace together. We'll do it with a few reminders that Paul gives to the church when he wrote the book of Romans. We remember that our story is a God-given story. Our story is a God-given story that calls us to sacrifice and to service. A God-given story. We see this, and this is what Paul's doing in chapter eleven. He's closing out the chapter uh, with immense praise. Each one of these stories, we see that the woman at the well, the man on the road, uh, the early church, that there was a first act, the first motion of rescue, the first step into their world, the first play for their help, and the first move for their rescue was the work of Jesus Christ. He began the work. We see that in Philippians, where Paul even says, He who began a good work in you will continue. This work began with God. Think about the message of the woman of the well. The story is that Jesus came to her. Jesus pointed her to living water. He introduced himself to her. He helped the men and He inspired the men on the road to Emmaus by coming alongside them. Jesus explained to them the history and everything concerning Himself. He (coughs) introduced these men to Himself. And it was good for them. It changed them. And to the start and the launch of the early church, Jesus promised them as He's leaving, I'm sending to you a counselor a helper, the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit came and gave them gifts and empowered them with strength. In each of these stories, in every story of redemption and all throughout Scripture, in every story of redemption throughout our community, guess what? There is a first mover. It's God. It's Yahweh. It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is the giver and He is the provider of our story of grace. So for 11 chapters in the book of Romans, we're not going to read them all, I promise, but for 11 chapters, Paul explains to the readers this gift of salvation. He explains and he unpacks the story Here's what God did. Here's where you were. So God had to do this. Here's how He rescued you. Here's what this means. For 11 chapters, He sums up and explains the story of the Gospel applied. Grace applied. And then at the end of the chapter, what Jerry read here just a second ago was the only proper response. It's almost like Paul just stops and explodes with praise. Let's read it again. Chapter 11, verse 33. Reflecting on everything that he just read, everything about the story of the Gospel, he says, oh, the depths of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor, or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. Paul is saying that God has given to us a precious, miraculous story. A story that involves wisdom that we can't understand. Knowledge that's too deep for us. Resources that we'll never be able to see or have on our own. Judgments that, that we don't really get. And for 11 chapters of Romans, he unpacks that story that says basically this. This is what he's saying here. We are saved by his riches, not ours. We are saved by His wisdom, not ours. We're saved by His knowledge, not ours. We are saved for His glory, not our glory. And just to kind of make sure His people get it, in chapter 12, verse 3, He says this, For by the grace given to Me, I say to every one among you. everyone, Not just the apostles, not just the disciples, not just elders, everyone among you. Listen to this encouragement. Not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned Paul's saying he chose to come with all of his power and with all of his wealth. He chose to save and redeem and speak and open up hearts to make us come alive spiritually. And he did all this, and therefore he should be the one that gets the credit. No one in Scripture credits the Samaritan woman. No one says, well, yeah, you really chose well. No one says, yeah, you did your job, and so you were blessed by that. No, they don't. They just praise and adore the one who opened her mind, who looked beyond her past experiences. No one credited the men on the road to Emmaus with their great wisdom and their great love and their great passion. No, instead, they praised the one who opened up their minds and caused their hearts to burn with zeal. And throughout Scripture, no one credits the puny, weak, scared, uneducated people that make up the early church. No. The best they could do is accuse them of being drunk and calling them uneducated men. No, they praise the one who saved them, who built the church, who empowered the church. And no one should and no one should be able to credit the one who preaches on this stage or sings on this stage or in or you or me no we are all saved by the first mover who comes into our lives and welcomes us in and says to us i am here to give you the opportunity to encounter me to be equipped with the truth to send you out for my glory all praise be to god paul says For Him and through Him and to Him. So, we have this story of faith. We credit and we praise God with with words. And we credit and praise God with a life well lived. And so, with our God-given story, Paul then moves to the second part of the text. And he says, So I appeal to you, sacrifice your life. Serve the body of Christ sacrifice serve this is what we do with our story we give ourselves over completely to god sacrifice yourself to god look with me in romans 12 verse 1 and 2 in our text he says so i appeal to you therefore brothers by the mercies of god to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to god which is your Spiritual worship, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed with the renewing of your mind. There's so much in this instruction. We don't have time to unpack it fully. What I want you to see is that Paul is saying, inspired by God, by the mercies of God, our story and our salvation is a gift of mercy, not a story of our work. So therefore, present yourself as a sacrifice. Paul tells us how to do this. First of all, we could say that he tells us that we do this by resisting the world. Do not be conformed to the world. Resist the world. The world here what's listed here in the Greek is the word aeon. It's better rendered as the age. Do not be conformed to the age. Do not be conformed to this present culture, or to the worldly systems, or to the way that everybody who doesn't have a story of the gospel in them, to everyone who's behaving the way that everybody who's lost behaves. Resist the world. The, the actually uses the word, do not be conformed to. This is interesting. The, the Greek word that we transliterate into conform here is really a word that's talking about Referring to an outward expression that does not reflect what is within. it say don't be somebody on the outside that you're not really on the inside. It is used um, when they talk about masquerading or, or putting on a mask or pretending to be like the world when really deep down you've got a story of the gospel in you. So don't put on a mask when you go out with your friends in the community. Be real. Don't conform to how they are we, on October 31st, all across our land, there's a conforming that's going on. We have um, sort of a, a conforming that happens when we say we want to be like Superman. And so we put on this mask, and you might remember the, the, the string that like, brought the mask into your skin and, and hurt you, and the, you dressed up in this Superman outfit, and, and what you're doing is on the outside, you're conforming to an image of a superhero, Deep down, you're not a superhero. That's what this word is saying. You're pretending to be someone you are not. You're masquerading around like Superman. I mean, you might do that on other days than just October 31st, be kind of weird. But our kids do this all the time, right? Dreaming and playing and, and pretending, and it's celebrated. But when adults do it, it's like, wait a minute. And Paul is saying, don't be conformed. Resist dressing up like the world. Resist pretending you're like them. One um, commentator put it this way stop assuming an outward expression which is patterned after this world, an expression that does not come from who you really are. Translation You are saved. So, therefore, don't act like unsaved people. You're a swan. Quit acting like a duck. Right, kids? I mean, you're with us, right? Kids, you know how a duck acts. You ever seen a swan? A swan's not supposed to act like a duck. Resist living like a duck, resist the world. Be and live like a saved person. Think about the context of the three stories that we have looked at. What if the woman at the well chose not to resist the world? What if she continued to try to find contentment and joy and relationship after relationship after relationship? Even after encountering Christ. Even after running and telling all her friends, hey, come meet the one who changed my life. Come on, meet the one who knows everything about me. Come meet the one who's the Messiah What if the men on the road to Emmaus continue to go back and chase political hope? A religious hope instead of the relationship and the teachings of Christ. What if the early church chose to hoard and selfishly just build their own little kingdoms and their own little ant pile, their own little mega church, and they never... Well, if you were here last week, you saw what God did to scatter them. What about your story? If you are saved, this would mean that you should quit acting like you are not. That's pretty simple and clear, right? Like, take your story and live it out loud. Let your burning heart lead you to pure and better beauty versus the trashy entertainment and garbage politics that we get caught up in no be brighter be the story that god's created you to be don't conform don't put on the mask and act like everybody else your story is too precious resist the world our story of salvation begins with this gift of mercy. It is experienced through our resisting worldliness, and it's experienced and lived out being the sacrifice when we commit to renew our mind. It says, be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We see that in verse 2. Again, we look back at these stories. Every one of them were were moved and empowered and launched because their minds have been affected by the truth of the Gospel. That's why we offer to you, church, Bible study, community groups that are helping us unpack the truth of the Gospel. That's why we we have, as you exit, a, a plan, a reading plan for the year to get you in the Word of God so that your mind can catch up to what your soul is doing. The story has come into your soul. You've been changed, so your mind's got to catch up to what God has birthed in you. It's got to be renewed. So we make this sacrifice by resisting the world and renewing our mind. It's the proper response for the one who's got a story of the gospel in them. But we also see that the response involves not just making the sacrifice, but to serve one another. Serve one another. Verses 12, I mean, chapter 12, verses four through eight. we see Paul really before this, saying that the salvation story is a story of believing, the story of becoming, transformed. And now we see in this section here that the story also means your belonging. You're believing, you're becoming someone, you're being renewed, and you're belonging to one another. Look with me in verse 4 of chapter 12. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. We believe in covenant membership. I've been asked this before. Why why do we say the word covenant? That's kind of creepy. It sounds like a cult. It sounds like we're signing up for something that I don't really understand. And, And if you actually would read our membership covenant, you'd be like, oh, yeah, I commit to that. So we're just saying to one another that we want a covenant, like Paul is saying, that we are belonging to each other. We're gonna serve each other. We can trust one another. We have, we're with each other. We we believe in a membership covenant because we are prone to privatize our faith, aren't we? Have you ever said when you see somebody acting out their faith in a way that's a little different than you, or like, I wish they would kind of just keep their faith their own? Your, our, our faith or our spiritual practices should be personal and I've even heard it in local churches, in churches all the time. It should be private. I don't see that anywhere in Scripture. We have a tendency to privatize our faith. Like, let's just be good, little, churched family. And let's not, like, try to convince people that they're supposed to be Christian and we use words like that that are extreme. And God says, no, your story is to be lived out loud. It's supposed to be lived out loud, especially with each other. We belong to each other. This belonging is for our joy. This belonging is for a growing joy. It's a joy that doesn't depend on how good I've been this week. It's a joy that is compounded and growing every time we go to small group, every time we come to congregational singing, every time we come to night of prayer, it grows and grows and grows and grows. Why? Because we're saying to each other, we're in it together. Our stories are coming together like little bitty lights and then when it comes together it becomes this big bonfire for the community we belong to one another we covenant together to remember that god saved us to belong to him and to one another if you want to think about it realistically you say no i don't really think that's the way it should be non churched people lost people worldly people The culture says that the church is full of hypocrites. The church is fake. Think about what they're saying when they say that. They are classifying, whether you want it to be private or not, they are classifying every person they've ever met. They may have met one Christian, and they say the whole church is fake. They may have read one article about a pastor who fell and say, well, I can't trust anything in the church. Guess what? The world is lumping you together anyway. We might as well say, you know what? We're going to be together. The Bible tells us to be together, and we're going to stand with each other in this room. By the way, I didn't say this today because I didn't want to embarrass them, but now I'm going to. Um, The people who were up here at the front, they're so imperfect. Amen? Those of you who know them, Okay, you can say that. And guess what? The ones who preceded them in joining this church, same thing about you. The same person who stands on the stage, very imperfect. That's why we join together and my strengths can serve you, your strengths can serve me. And we come together. That's what Paul's doing here. For time's sake, we don't have the time to unpack everything that he's saying, but he gives these gifts to each one in the church. Verse 6, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Are you using your gifts to serve one another in the church? If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if serving in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in his generosity, the one who leads with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. We are called to not privatize the story, but to be like the woman at the well. Be like the men on the road to Emmaus. To be like the early church that says, you know what, we've got a story, we're going to tell it, we're going to sacrifice, we're going to go, and we're going to serve one another in love. And I love that Paul says in verse nine, and let us use them and let us and let your love be genuine. One of the things that I love about when we have communion together, it's a reminder that when I serve, we get to ask ourselves, is my service to the church, is it pure? Is it holy? Or we can even say, I'm only serving in the church because of what this act represents, that Christ came to serve me. It's the constant reminder that we serve because he first served us. This is our story. So, we practice the discipline of a membership covenant because it is a commitment that communicates a that I have a story of salvation. I have a story that I'm saved. B, that my story is one of believing and becoming. And our membership covenant talks about that we're going to continue to grow. We're going to at least commit ourselves that we're going to continue to grow in the faith. See that I have a story... And my story is one of belonging to one another, that it's not a private faith, that I belong to the body of Christ here. Indeed, that my story continues with a sacrifice to God and a service to other people. So you might be here this morning and finishing up this series and you might be thinking, Jason, that the story of the woman at the well, that, that's great. The, the men on the road to Emmaus, that's, that's amazing. and Or maybe you haven't caught any of those sermons yet and you're hearing them for the first time. But you're sitting there going, Jason, I don't have a story. And if this church, if these people around me heard my story, you would not want me attached to this body. You ever thought that? That you don't belong? That you're not supposed to be here? Well, you're not here by an accident. Not just in life, but you're not even here this Sunday morning by accident. The writer, the one who the Spirit empowers to write this text in Romans, let me tell you a little bit about his story and we'll close. In Acts chapter 8, verse 1, we looked at it last week. There was a man who oversaw the death and the murder of Stephen. His name was Saul. He oversaw it. He approved it. And the language is that sort of gives him credit for, for in, instructing this behavior. His name was Saul. In Acts chapter 8.1, we saw that the church was scattered throughout Judea and Samaria because the persecution that was coming, most of it at the hands of this person, Saul. This is a a killer. This is a ruthless, unloving, unkind person. And then just one chapter later, this Saul is walking on the road and he encounters the living God. Changes everything. Saul encounters God. He goes to be equipped And the truth, for some time, his name changes from Saul to Paul. And next thing you know, he is leading the way and sacrificing his life for the glory of God and serving the very people that he was killing. If anybody didn't belong in the church, it was Saul. Saul. I don't know if you were here today and you were planning out murderous threats against me. I doubt it. But that's who Saul was. And he writes this chapter, writes this story in Romans, basically saying, Romans is kind of like his story. He's like, here's what God has done And so Paul is saying, my response then is, oh, the depth and the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God, that he would even give me this story, that he would even help me to believe, that he would even cause me to become somebody I never thought I could become, and that he would even allow me the precious gift to belong to the very people I was killing Here's the thing, none of you belong without God's grace. But His grace has come. What will the rest of your story be? I invite you to join us as a people in Salado, in Central Texas. I I invite you to the joy of sacrificing your life to God. I invite you... To the joy of serving one another in love, in genuine love, I invite you to be grace together in 2020, and let's just see a year from now. God, what do you want to do with a group of people who believe, who are becoming and belonging to one another? What do you want to do through us? There may be other people that say nothing good can come from Salado. There may be people in Salado, nothing good can happen on this side of the freeway. Well, we want to say, God, here we are. What's the rest of our story? That's our vision. That's our mission. We invite you to be a part of it. Let's go to the Lord now and pray and surrender this to Him. Oh, gracious, loving, holy God. We are not our own. I thank You, Lord, that You are the first mover. You are the one that engaged us. You are the one that saved us. You came to us. You sacrificed and gave up the heavenlies to come and be a part and to redeem for Yourself a people. So God, here we are. And we ask You, Lord, to give us faith to believe. Teach us the truth so that we can become. And God, help us to commit to one another so that we can belong to something that's way bigger than ourselves. Father, if there's anybody here, anyone here that has yet to profess that Jesus Christ is their Lord and Savior. I pray that in this next song even, this familiar song, that they would join this church in singing that I surrender my all to you. And oh God, may that encounter, may that truth and may that faith grow and swell this morning as we go to engage our world. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for attaching us to one another. And thank you for the story, the gospel that's been planted deep within us.